Okay, all right. Uh, Minister, thank you very much for joining us. First of all, let's talk about your press conference. I mean, uh, I know the various issues that you raised earlier on, but I just want to start with this, especially when it, I don't want necessarily to touch on the organizational renewal aspect, but I know you did make a comment about... Um, you know, being very careful about the organizational integrity and guarding against uh, the whole debate around uh, white monopoly capital and black monopoly capital. What exactly has brought that about? Is that because of the various discussions that have been uh, underway around who has captured whom? Is that what has brought the discussion on? Or has this been something long in discussion for the past five years towards this policy conference? Well, thanks, Tsepiso. Uh, no, it came about as a a, a long-standing perspective uh, of the movement. Uh, it is in the document, Strategy and Tactics. Um, uh, we took it from the Strategy and Tactic doc- Tactics document we adopted in uh, 2007. So we're restating the fact that our approach to monopoly capital uh, is that one of uh, cooperation and contestation, the unity and struggle. Um, And we look at uh, the uncompetitive nature of monopoly capital as an area for contestation. Um, We look at the project of government of ensuring that uh, we meet basic services uh, of people as an area of cooperation. That is why when you have a big infrastructural project uh, by government, you'll have a, a situation of uh, crowding in of private uh, capital, uh, as it were. So it came as a way of um, interacting uh, with our cadres, but also clarifying the issue about the form it takes in South Africa, monopoly capital, that it takes a racial form. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's enter that debate about established capital. The president spoke about broad-based black economic empowerment, but what I'm not certain of is which direction does this policy conference thinks it needs to uh, head in terms of that, I mean, we know that there have been quotas, there have been quotes that have been strengthened, etc., but we still have many companies who are flouting those codes, saying that they would rather pay the fine. And if we look at the social situation in South Africa, it's very clear that it has not reached the broader majority. So when we're talking about established capital, it seems that we're adding into that conversation uh those who have benefited from BEE, but it's still a very small margin. So you have these two. When you talk about white capital and you talk about black uh, capital, these two conglomerates, as it were, are not serving the people and there's no change one way or the other. Well, it starts with, with us. Um, I, I hope uh, you have been following uh, the the conversation around uh, the economy and the uh, finance, uh, the fiscus in particular, that uh, if you look at, as an example, what is happening at ESCOM, um, that, that the contract of, of coal and the pro- procurement thereof 
um, is by and large benefiting the very few what you would call uh, comprador bourgeoisie in South Africa, uh, that white monopoly capital in South Africa. This is the lever in the hands of a democratic government. The questions now are very sharp that if you want to level the playing field, why do we have to continue uh, with this biasness towards white monopoly capital, as it were, uh, or monopoly capital? Because if you talk monopoly capital in South Africa, you don't even have to say uh, the color because uh, with the uh, colonial character of the economy of South Africa, it's an obvious thing. So the, the 800 billion rands in the hands of the South African government is the one which is the first uh, in line uh, to be checked. How do we, if we want really uh, this, to see this radical economic transformation, we can't look it elsewhere. We've got to start here with what is in our hands, including our own uh, PIC. Mm. Uh, Before you go any further, Minister, and I know this is not an area you would like to discuss, but I'm going to go there anyway because you raised it, the issue of if you look at coal contracts and the fact that it's white monopoly capital, I mean, it's white capital that uh, seems to benefit from that. And there was a whole saga around it, called the controversy around um, who eventually benefited. My my question still goes to the fact that it seems like we're shifting from one spectrum to the other. If it's not established capital, it's black capital, which is not spreading to, or funding down to uh, the greater majority of South Africans. How do you fix that, including controversies around people or uh, uh, families like the Guptos who have said that they are benefiting above people who really should be benefiting from distribution of assets, of, um, you know, efforts by the fiscus. That's, that's precisely the point. That's where I started, that the form monopoly capital takes should not be an issue here. The issue should be monopoly capital itself. And how do you move out of that? How do you ensure that through your own levers as government, you are able at the level of cooperation to be saying this is we are cooper- cooperating you on this one but this is the kind of outcome we want so in in trying to deal with what is out there the emphasis on white monopoly capital in the meeting what we are saying is that that emphasis uh, misses the point a bit because it is an emphasis about the form. What we need to deal with is the nature of monopoly capital Mm. and say the nature of monopoly capital doesn't have the kind of objectives which you as democratic government have of ensuring that there is a fair distribution of income, assets and resources to the majority of the people. Let's broaden the discussion now, Minister. You speak about the balance of forces in terms of external and internal factors. When you dis- In your policy discussion document, you also speak about narrow nationalism and chauvinism 
on the ascendancy. What exactly do you mean by that? And please define for us narrow nationalism, especially against the backdrop of this radical economic transformation that we're talking about. Well, what we are saying there is that uh, if you look at uh, uh, developed nations of the world today uh, and, and look generally in global geopolitical situation, you will see that uh, the world is changing and changing uh, towards right, towards conservative, uh, the center-right uh, parties in Europe, and even entertaining uh, far-right as an issue to discuss. Uh, for instance, what happened in, in during the elections in France where Le Pen and her party was an issue uh, to be discussed. And we are saying that the ascendancy to narrow nationalism and chauvinism, uh, you can see what happens in the U.S., for instance, has a reason where people look at narrow protectionism for their own countries and act as if they are the only player in the global space uh, and therefore everything starts and ends with them. And, 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 and that comes as a, reason, <coughs> as a result of um, the authorities, uh, especially uh, political and business elites, losing that uh, credibility amongst people uh, the world over, that anything will go um, through being unable to solve issues of inequality in the world, issues of terrorism, issues of migration, and people want answers to those things. And uh, with the orthodox uh, uh, leadership there not being seen to be able to deal with those things, people then fall for any other. And, 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 and hence, we, we highlight the, 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 the rise of uh, narrow nationalism. And I'm sure you'd agree with me, Minister, that a, a great deal of that has to do with the disconnectedness with uh, the broader society. And I think you organize that or your diagnostic report also did talk about the fact that you need to better your stance within community as being seen at as an organization that listens to people. The president uh, spoke about the fact that this is why you see protests here and there. That says to me that there is a sense that you are moving away from the people and you need to fix that. How do you intend to write that, that social trajectory that seems to be developing into a fallout? Well, uh, you, you, you are correct. Um, <coughs> in fact, not uh, only uh, in this conference or this preparation for this conference, but uh, even in the NGC, but particularly for this conference, the theme itself of the strategy and tactics goes to that point that you'll have objective factors militating against the broader global uh, progressive left, but you will have narrowing it down to South Africa, a situation where even in our own case, the issue of organization and organizational integrity becoming the center stage, which you cannot uh, ignore. And therefore, we frame our discussion in the strategy and tactics through that. And we are saying that uh, the 
ANC looking around it uh, with its uh, fraternal uh, parties uh, across the continent uh, who have faced uh, similar situations. The ANC itself is in a position uh, to change the fortunes uh, for the better. It is in the hands of the organization through intensifying programs of reconnecting with its structures first and foremost, with uh, the masses of the people uh, who are the reason for the ANC existence because the ANC does not exist for itself or its members, but for the members of the society as a whole. So just finally then, how do you make that transition from, uh, and perhaps maybe there's a lack of understanding of this, the NDR, the National Democratic Revolution within the NDP um, do you move from the one to the other? Do you encapsulate the one into the other or is the one a departure from the other? No. Uh, the NDR is a, a, micro, a, a macro ideological stance which we took as we were fighting apartheid colonialism. That on its ashes, our strategic objective of the National Democratic Revolution is the creation of a united, non-racial, non-sexist, democratic and prosperous society. That is the program of, the broader program, if you like, a broader strategic program of the NDR. That's the NDR. Within it, it's the how part. How do you, how do you reach a situation where you have a united South Africa? How do you reach a situation where you have... That is an objective. And that's where NDR should lead, lead us to. But the micro-programmatic interventions will come in the form of the RDP, will come in the form of gear on, on, the, on the economy, will come in the form right now of the Vision 2030, which is the National Development Plan. From an ideological perspective, I don't want to get too deep into the land issue, but then how do you then reconcile if you're talking about multiculturalism, non-racialism, and you speak about the land issue and you still enter the conversation with expropriation without compensation from an ideological perspective? But what ideology is that? My what? point exactly. Yeah, no, no, the no. I'm asking you, you, you are talking about a program. It's not an ideology per se. That expropriation without compensation is not in the ANC's uh, perspectives, which it has. These are some of the, it has, these are some of the conversations oh, yes, arising oh, out of here. Absolutely. And this is why I'm asking, absolutely. if we talk about the ideology of non-racialism, how do we marry that to such suggestions of expropriating land without no, but, compensation? But this is a debate. Remember that these documents you have are draft documents for discussion. Anybody can raise anything in those discussions. What becomes important is how cogent are your points which will make us to reach a determination you would have reached. But as I sit here, you and I, we still do not have a policy like expropriation without compensation. But that doesn't stop people to raise whatever they stop. At the end of the day, the conference will decide.
Thank you very much for speaking to us, Mr. My pleasure.